Welcome to Gen X Mixtape, a nostalgic podcast dedicated to the art of making mixtapes and the Gen Xers who made them. This is part two of Hot, where Alan and I will be curating side B of a mixtape that dares to take the temperature up a few notches. <laughs> Welcome back, Alan. Welcome back. I still love your intro. That's yeah. great. Um, uh, some of these songs are very mercurial, so it oh, kind of works. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I I hope the audience appreciated last week's uh, very eclectic mix. I it's I don't know my mix this week is not quite as varied. Um, in fact, I, I dare say I think I like my side B better than than side A. Um, but it was fun. I mean, it was a it was a really fun list last week, and I think you know it might be. Uh, might be an episode that that brings in some some multi generational listeners. Yeah, perhaps. yeah, hopefully. Yeah. You know, we we were all over the place. So, yeah, and um, you know, I'm not sure why, but uh, taking a look at the the numbers from uh, our first few episodes this season, uh, we've got a good response. I don't know if you've checked them out, but yeah, uh, yeah, um, yeah. So we maybe have some new people on board, or a bunch of people that listened and <laughs> are going to come back. But at perhaps. least for season three, they came and uh, and and. and Gave a listen. So. Well, I, and we, you know, we had to give a shout out to some of the the other podcasts because we we of course collaborated uh, with a few of them, and and uh, the cross promotion I think has helped that we've we have we've been very fortunate. Yes, I, I know yes. Uh, on Twitter there are a few people that have really kind of uh, advocated for us and and you know really kind of spread the word. The most recent review on uh, on Apple um, it was really good. It was really good. Um. um Basically talks about how we don't just pointlessly ramble on, which we do, but uh, about <laughs> yeah. stuff. And, that, uh, and and they said they're knowledgeable, which is very generous. But yeah, yeah, it was nice. I, I don't know that I saw the new okay. review on yeah. Apple. Um, when when did that? Oh, it's been a it's been a couple months. Oh, which okay is a good transition, folks. If you are a loyal listener to this broadcast and you do like what you hear. Um, and please at least at least rate us. That would be nice. We we do have a yeah. a, a good uh, five star rating, but we'd love it if you jot down a few words of, of encouragement too. Yeah. Oh, we'd be very appreciative. Yeah. I, I generally don't go to to Apple. I mean, I'm I'm an Android user, so um, kind of live. I used to be an Android user. Yeah. And then I joined the cult. <laughs> not not ready to do it. I'm I've never liked the iPhone. Um, but uh, nonetheless, it, it's I I I just don't go to Apple Podcasts. So. Um, yeah, please. Uh, I know that you know Apple Podcasts. The reviews are how you build your audience. We've yep. we've always known that. So. so very very helpful with the algorithm. If you can, yeah, can, can jot down a few nice words, yeah. that'd be great. We would. We'd appreciate it. All right, I get to start. Right, it yes, is side it is, B. It is you. Yes. All right. Well, let's just start with this one, which I debated a little bit of whether or not I should play uh, or choose this one because this day and age. You know, I'm sure it wouldn't be received as maybe well as it did back in 1984. And when I say 1984, I literally mean 1984. The album 1984, I'm talking about Van Halen's Hot for Teacher. Yes. Uh, and, that, you know, that album, <laughs> that album, co- first of all, the album cover, I, that has to be one of the <laughs> most iconic. The angel smoking. Yeah, the, the angel smoking right there. And I, oh, I love that. But Hot for Teacher. I mean, you're right. That that was, I, I don't. Well, if you if you read it as a fantasy, you know, perhaps I guess. But you know, the news media being what it is, and you know, so many examples, unfortunately, uh, 
you know, time and again. It it, it does. It has a very different meaning well, today. Well, my wife said I, I'm okay because it's not hot for student. If it was well, hot for yes. student, then I probably shouldn't choose it. Yeah, I, I don't know that we're ever going to play Don't Stand So Close to Me on, on the... On the uh, well, even that so. was, if I remember correctly, the protagonist, the sing, Sting is singing about, is very uncomfortable. Well, yeah. You know. Even though he may be attracted to this, you know, high school student, he's very uncomfortable by her advances and knows that it's a line he should not cross, right? He doesn't cross that line. I don't think end. so, no, because it's, uh, yeah. you know, accusations in the staff room, but I, I don't think that he ever, I mean, th- there is the reference to, to Nabokov, to Lolita, but I, I don't think that... That's where I think it, you talk about the fantasy element of it. Yeah. And, and there's another song I chose, too, that is kind of that. But yeah, okay, let's get... Let's not talk about inappropriate... <laughs> yeah, so let's, let's move away from that. Relationships there. So Hot for Teacher. Um, yeah, the, the song... The, this is kind of an important song for another reason, too. It's, it's the last single by the band with David Lee Roth as the front man. It's also unique in that it may be the only, there may be an exception, but I could not think of one, uh, a single that started with a 30-second drum solo. Oh, and it is incredible, no A less. drum solo that resembles the, the um, engine of a, of a motorcycle. Yeah, and the double, the double bass drum that, yep. that's going on there is just... And then after the 30-second drum solo, you have another 30 seconds of instrumental. So the first minute or so of the song is instrumental. Yeah. That's very unique. Um, of course, the video was also a huge hit, one of the most iconic videos of the MTV era. Uh, it featured the band as both adults and children. Uh, I'm not sure which is more memorable. The sit down Waldo line that uh, bus driver Roth states at the beginning or the teacher's transformation into runway strutting bathing suit models <laughs> in the classroom. <laughs> um, 
I'd have to go with the latter. <laughs> I, um, sit down, Waldo had its had its moment, but I um yeah, it it, it is a much uh, much remembered video for for good reason. And so um, that that in of itself probably wouldn't fly today. It's it's it maybe a bit misogynistic, not quite as bad as, uh, oh, it's as Cali- it's California inc- girls. Yeah, was even worse. Well, yeah. Um, no, but, yeah. it's incredibly misogynistic. It's not it's not pretty misogynistic, but um, but yeah, it well. You know, but but rock it was still a it was still a good old boys network back then. Yep. And you know, it we've come a long way since since that time, fortunately. But yeah, no, I, I remember that video very clearly. Here's um, here's my pointless trivia for the episode. Who voiced Waldo? You know, I I know I I'm blanking, but I know I know it. I've I've heard this before. Um I, I can't Phil remember. Hartman. That's right. I, I knew I knew it. And um, you know what? Maybe I'm wrong here. This one I'm not confident. I think I've learned that. Did, did we choose this song for the back to school episode? No. Okay. We It's on the uh, alternates. Okay. It's on the alternates. List. I was thinking that maybe I'd already prepared no. something for the song because no. I'm not sure how I no, remembered that fact. No, but. when we did the back to school episode, we, you and I both very deliberately steered clear of <laughs> <laughs> the reasons teacher. we just discussed. Yes, but but this is not a school episode, so no, it's, okay. it's a little little bit different <laughs> at, at least. But but we did put it on the uh, on the alternates and, and mentioned yeah, it's, it's such a great simple guitar riff but just great stuff. Yeah. yeah. No, and, agreed. And R.I.P. Uh, Mr. Eddie Van Halen too. Agreed. Okay, my turn. Um, this one it, it meets all the the requirements that, that we set uh, for the for the episode. Um, it it has hot in the title, and it is certainly uh, it, it's another fun summer tune. It it is very much about sexual desire, um, but it's also a little bit of a cheat because hot appears like once in in the song, and then it just kind of goes away. And it's the rest of the song is about stealing words right out of his mouth honestly uh the song is you took the words right out of my mouth uh in in parentheses hot summer night and by meatloaf who of course we we lost uh not too long ago unfortunately that was that was a heartbreaking loss uh it's from bad out of hell and, G- and jim steinman who voices the, the male voice right, at the beginning yeah. of the song has also passed yeah no very true on a hot summer night would you offer your throat to the wolf with the red roses. Will he offer me his mouth? Yes. Will he offer me his teeth? Yes. Will he offer me his jaws? Yes. Will he offer me his hunger? Yes. Again, will he offer me his hunger? Yes. And will he starve without me? Yes. Then does he love me? Yes. Yes. On a hot summer night, would you offer your throat to the wolf with the red roses? Yes. I bet you say that to all the Shooting stars falling through your trembling hands. Are you licking your lips? 
it of course comes from Bad Out of Hell, 1977. The song hit number 33 on uh, the Hot 100, so it was a, a top 40 hit. Um, like like all the songs on Bad Out of Hell, uh, it was, like you said, written by Jim Steinman. Um, like Paradise by the Dashboard Light, uh, You Took the Words Right Out of My Mouth is, is a story of young lust, uh, but with a far more satisfying ending for our hero. Uh, he's not praying for the end of time this this time around. And in 1976, when things were going to disco, this was very much an ode to early rock and roll. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, from start to finish. Um, the song, it, it's, it's set on a hot summer night under the moonlight on a deserted beach. He finds himself so entranced with his flame that he can't even say the words, I love you, as he is overcome with desire. Uh, and, you know, he was just about to say it when she, she kisses him. Uh, the album version of the song... Which I call, I call BS on, by the way. Yeah, but. yeah, well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was just about to... Yeah, yeah, okay. well, you say what, you know, say what you think they want to hear. You want to talk misogyny. Um, the, the album version of this song contains the spoken intro. On a hot summer night, would you offer your throat to the wolf with the red roses? <laughs> I, you know, I always, that, that intro always bothered me. I, I just, it's so bad. But here's the explanation. But, but it's not, it's, it's tongue in cheek. It is, it is. Completely. But here, here's the explanation. Uh, you know, it always seemed out of place for me. For one, Meatloaf isn't speaking. As you said, it's Jim Steinman, right? And the woman is Marsha McLean. Uh, she was an actress who played Dee Stewart on the soap opera As the World Turns. So she's not even, you know, the the, the female voice uh, that accompanies him on some of the tracks on the album. Steinman, actually, it turns out, he wrote the dialogue for a stage production called Neverland, mm-hmm. which was performed five months before the Bad Out of Hell album was released. And three songs that he wrote for the play were used on the album as well as the title track the the title track sorry heaven can wait and all revved up with no place to go so the, the single release omitted the spoken dialogue and which i think is to the song's benefit but the spoken dialogue it, it, it comes directly from the play and and that's you know which i never knew i just always tried to figure out for one thing it's not meatloaf speaking yeah so yeah, I, I, it's, I, it's kind of quirky and i'm sorry one of the greatest punchlines i laugh every time yeah I, I bet, you, bet you say that to all the boys. Yes. Yeah, all right. Um, Steinman's lyrics, you know, they make use of his signature dramatic style um, to set the scene. It was a hot summer night and the beach was burning. There was fog crawling over the sand. And when I listened to your heart, I heard the whole world turning. I see the shooting stars falling through your trembling hands. I mean, it's, it's, it's just that very dramatic you know, uh, approach that he had to his lyrics. I, I, I loved Jim Steinman. I mean, the man was a genius with his lyrics. Um, you know, I, it's uh, very much influenced by Bruce Springsteen. Uh, Springsteen also stamps his songwriting in this manner, and the similarities go beyond the words because, as we've said before on other episodes, two East Street band members, uh, Roy Britton and, and drummer Max Weinberg, they're both playing on the track. The album, we've always uh, said this, I think, in the past as well, the album was produced by Todd Rundgren, uh, who later said the songs were really outsized versions of what Bruce himself would do. Um, but yeah, I just... If it's one of the greatest albums of rock it, and roll. It is, yeah. And I figure if we're going to... if we're if we're going to get hot, then Hot Summer Night, you took the words right out of my mouth. Perfect fit, especially for a summer playlist. So there you go. There's my Yeah, I, I, to me, pick. the spoken intro is kind of, it starts out as this really primal, which fits with the lust, right? This yeah. just really primal, almost like a tribal ritual, right? Where it's very, very poetic. But then when, you know, he comes around with, I, I bet you say that to all the boys. Yeah. You know, it's just, and it snaps us back to the modern era and then kicks right into the song. Yeah. Beautiful. 
Uh, and it is. I mean, that entire album, it is just, it is such a loving tribute to 1950s rock and roll. Yep. You know, it's just, I, I, I never get tired of it. That is an album I can listen to any day, any, any occasion. Yep. I never get tired of that out of hell. I just don't. So Good stuff. Good uh, stuff. I have it in vinyl over there. Oh, I, I have it afterwards. Yeah, have it on vinyl at home as well. All right. All right. My next song is kind of like, I don't know why my second songs on these episodes are bands that I don't normally listen to, like Foreigner, but this one also fits that category, and that is a song by The Power Station. Of course, Some Like It Hot. I think uh, we would be committing podcast malpractice if we didn't include this one with Hot in the title. Came out in 1985 by The Power Station, as I mentioned. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the super groups in rock history. Power Station's made up of singer Robert Palmer, who is not from Emerson, Lake, and Palmer, as I thought when I was a kid. Yeah, I always thought the same thing. Uh, I mean, chic drummer Tony Thompson and John and Andy Taylor of Duran Duran fame. Yep. Um, and by the way, congratulations to Duran Duran. They have been selected to the Hall yes. of Fame this year with, finally, Pat Benatar. Pat Benatar. You know, this... This is a fantastic list of inductees yes. this year. Yes, um, Eminem, Pat Benatar, God, who all made it? Lionel Richie, um, Duran Duran, of course, as you said. Carly Simon has made it. Um, the Arrhythmics are finally in. Uh, Judas Priest. Judas Priest. Even Harry Belafonte. Yeah. You know, I mean, and just from start to finish, the inductee list this year, I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled with. Finally, it's a, it's, it's a list where not one inductee in my mind is undeserving. I, I love love. What they get and Dolly, yeah, Dolly Parton. Dolly, yes. I am totally behind Dolly. Well, we, didn't we in. talk about how there were no country music artists inducted yeah. except for Johnny Cash? Johnny was the only one. Now there are two, yeah. and hopefully this sets a trend because there are a number of country artists. Not only were they crossover artists, but I mean, like they, Eddie Rabbit. No, okay. Well, Eddie, Eddie <laughs> Rabbit. Know, but. Yeah, I. But but like, where the hell is Willie? You know, yeah, Willie right. Nelson not being in the rock hall. He, so the, he the outlaw has, country stuff, which yeah. was very influenced by rock. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's it's Southern rock, so yeah. much of it. You know, I, I just, 
No, I, I'm even John Denver. You know, Denver will make it. Yeah. I think eventually. Um, if if no one burns his, <laughs> <laughs> you know, no one burns his card. Um, but yeah, no, I, I I am. I'm thrilled with this year's. And folks, if you're not sure, familiar with that story, uh, when he won the country, I think we talked about it in one episode. When he won the, was it the Country Music Award? Yeah. Um, the person presenting. You talk about Taylor Swift, and we talk about, of course, recently now the Will Smith. Chris uh, rock debacle, but uh, yeah, the the presenter, I forget who it was, but uh, actually burned the card um, that pronounced John Denver as, you know, I don't know if he was the best new artist or, or what he won, but. Uh, yeah, it was actually Charlie Rich. Charlie Rich, Charlie okay. Rich, yeah, yeah he, he's the one that set fire to John Denver. He was too folky for the old school country guys. Yeah, which, uh, I, I love John Denver. Yeah. So. Anyway, so uh, yeah, congratulations. I wanted to make sure I mentioned that. So, um, like for like hot for teacher, this song really highlights the drum and the percussion. This is really a, a drum first song. Oh yeah, um, and that's why I like it. I, I really love the the percussion here. Um, the writing was concluded in the Bahamas. The, the the Taylor boys had this demo, and Robert Palmer was living in the Bahamas at the time, and so they went down to visit him and played the demo for him, and then he started adding stuff to it. And the next thing you know. Um, they had a song. So maybe the climate itself had a little bit to do with this as well, which fits our theme. Uh, the song went to number six on Billboard, and it was written during a time when apparently um, everyone in the band was heavily under the influence of very hard drugs. <laughs> um, now, Robert Palmer did pass away. He was only 50, I want to say 52, 53. Yeah, he was young. And so he had a heart attack. I don't know if that was in relation to his drug use or what, but... Uh, I know that the Taylors said that they had a really hard time focusing on making this record. Um, in fact, uh, a bassist, which I can't remember, is I think Andy Taylor's the bassist because John Taylor, I think, was the guitarist. Got my Duran Duran kind of confused there, but um, had a hard time even playing his bass parts because he was so strung out. So that's not good, but this is a good song that came out of that. Yep. Now, I, I was really happy to see that you this this one before i knew your picks i told you that there were six songs that i i was going to use this was another one uh, the bower station were definitely i was going to throw them on there do so. you like this or their other hit which was the t-rex cover bangagong bangagong i i preferred some like it odd yeah i always like this one better um and but, a pretty provocative album cover it's the outline of a naked woman yeah should anybody want to look it up yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay okay well my second pick i'm you know, Meatloaf sets sets the stage. Now it's time to go back to the fifties. I had a hard time. I kept wavering. I kept going back and forth and back and forth. There were two songs of equal merit, and I could not decide which one I wanted to include. I'm going to name them both so that the other, of course, ends up on our alternate uh, playlist. It was between "Great Balls of Fire" by Jerry Lee Lewis and "Ring of Fire" by Johnny Cash. In the end, I, I gave the nod to Jerry Lee Lewis. I thought it was more fitting with our with our theme, but it this was a hard decision because I didn't want to put two songs from the fifties on the same on, on the same playlist, and and I just man, I, I really had, I struggled with that one. But in the end, I went with Jerry Lee, um, and and the song, of course, is "Great Balls of Fire." It came from the the album "Great Balls of Fire," it was the self titled track, uh, nineteen fifty seven, and it hit number two on the Hot 100. You shake my nerves and you rattle my brain Too much of love drives a man insane You broke my will but what a thrill Goodness gracious great balls of fire I let you love but I thought it was funny You came along and you knew me honey I've changed my mind This love is fine 
Great Balls of Fire, recorded by Jerry Lee Lewis on Sun Records. Uh, it was featured also in the 1957 movie Jamboree. Uh, Great Balls of Fire was actually ranked as the 96th greatest song ever recorded by Rolling Stone magazine. Hmm. Um, it sold 1 million copies in its first 10 days of release in the U.S., which made it, at that time, uh, one of the best-selling singles in the history of popular music. He's nicknamed The Killer. Uh, he, he has been described as rock and roll's first great wild man and one of the most influential pianists of the 20th century. Uh, he was a pioneer of rock and roll and rockabilly music, and he was in the inaugural class for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Of course, he was one of the first 10. Um, Lewis traveled to Memphis, Tennessee in November of 56 to audition for Sun Records. And at the time, label owner Sam Phillips was actually in Florida, and it was producer and engineer Jack Clement who recorded Lewis's rendition of Ray Price's Crazy Arms uh, that got him the, the job. Uh, in December of 56, Lewis began recording prolifically as a solo artist and as a session musician for other Sun artists, including Carl Perkins and Johnny Cash. He is on very nearly every Johnny Cash song uh, from Sun Records. Um, on December 4th, i, I got to talk about the Million Dollar Quartet. Y- you have to. December 4th, 1956, Elvis Presley dropped in on Phillips to, to pay a social visit while Perkins was in the studio cutting new tracks with Lewis backing him on piano. Johnny Cash was also there watching Perkins, and the four of them started this impromptu jam session. And Phillips, of course, left the tape running. These recordings, uh, almost half of which were gospel songs, have since been released on CD as the Million Dollar Quartet. And, of course, there was the big Broadway uh, show about the the four of them performing together. Uh, tracks also included Elvis Presley's Don't Be Cruel, Paralyzed, Chuck Berry's Brown-Eyed Handsome Man, and a track by Pat Boone of, of all artists, which seems really out of place, but... Uh, Don't Forbid Me would be that one. In 57, uh, Lewis struck gold. He, he released a whole lot of shaking Go on, going on. Uh, the, the single shot Lewis to fame worldwide, and Great Balls of Fire came next. It was uh, his signature tune. still is a signature tune, and a perfect fit for his incendiary style. His firebrand personality, of course, uh, was also on full display when he performed on stage. Uh, the killer, as part of his stage act, he pounded the keys with his heel, he kicked the piano bench aside, he played standing, he uh, raked his hands up and down the keyboard for dramatic effect. He sat on the keyboard, even stood on top of the instrument. Um, and, and Lewis told the Pop Chronicles that kicking over the bench originally happened by accident, but when it got a favorable response, he kept it in the act. Um, and Ben Folds now carries on that tradition. Does he really? Very similar. Still have not seen him live. We, we had talked about seeing Yeah, are we going to see him? I, I totally forgot about the tickets. Oh, well. I, well, I'll check. Okay. If, if they're still available. I've... I, I, I'm guessing there are okay, still tickets available. Right, I, yeah. I, I forgot all about it until just now. Um, like Lewis's previous hit, whole lot of shaking going on, Great Balls of Fire, folks, is filled with sexual innuendo. I mean, let me love you like a lover should, right? Which was shocking for a Southern musician in 57. But it also troubled Lewis as a religious man. 
because according to several firsthand sources, including Johnny Cash, Lewis was a devout Christian. He thought about being a, a preacher. His, a well, his cousin, Jimmy Swagger. Jimmy Swagger, is, yes, is, is his cousin. Yeah, uh, Lewis was a devout Christian, and he was troubled by the sinful nature of his own material. He believed, he, he genuinely believed, I think he still does uh, in some interviews. Is I've he heard still him living? Say, yeah, he, really? he's wow. the only member of the, the million, dollar, million Dollar Quartet that is still wow. alive. Yes, he is still still alive. Um, but Jerry Lee Lewis, even today, he has said that he does believe that his music is leading him and his audience to hell. Hmm. He, he firmly 100% believes that. Uh, as a teenager, he studied at the Southwest Bible Institute uh, in Texas before being thrown out for daring to play a boogie-woogie version of My God is Real. And that, <laughs> that early incident, I mean, it foreshadowed his lifelong conflict over his faith in God and his love of playing the devil's music. Um in fact, Lewis had a recorded argument with Sam Phillips during the recording session for Great Balls of Fire, and uh, it was a song he he didn't he refused. Jerry Lee Lewis refused to to record Great Balls of Fire, um, and you can actually hear on that recording, um, Jerry Lee Lewis considered the song to be blasphemous. He actually says to Sam Phillips at one point, "How can how can the devil save souls? What are you talking about, man?" and you know, Phillips, uh, during the heated exchange, he just let the, the tape roll. It's it's out there for anyone to hear. Um, and, and actually, you know, the gospel songs during that famous Million Dollar Quartet um, with with Elvis and Carl Perkins, Johnny Cash, they performed several gospel songs. Lewis's biographer, Rick Bragg, explained that part of the reason the recording only features Lewis and Elvis singing is because only Elvis and Jerry Lee were raised in the Assembly of God. The others, Johnny Cash and Carl Perkins, didn't know the lyrics to these gospel hymns, actually. Uh, for a short time, Lewis was one of the most popular performers in the world, folks, but his rock and roll career faltered in a hurry uh, in the wake of his marriage to 13-year-old Myra Gill Brown, who also happened to be the daughter of his cousin and bass player, J.W. Brown. So when word got out that Lewis had married his 13-year-old cousin, he was actually in Britain at the time. He was headlining shows with Buddy Holly and Chuck Berry in England. And when the UK press found out, public outrage forced him to leave the country. And back in the States, his career faltered. Radio stations refused to play his records and stores refused to sell them. And that was very nearly the end of uh, The Killer. But he, he did, in the 1970s, have a comeback with country music. So Did you see the biopic with Dennis Quaid and, I believe, Winona Ryder? Winona right? Ryder, yeah. yeah. She, plays the, she plays Myra. Yeah, I think it was called Great Balls of Fire. It was, yeah. And I actually, I really like it. I thought, yeah. I thought Dennis Quaid played an, an incredible Jerry Lee Lewis. Um, but, yeah, it... it it, it never ceases to amaze me. This man has been in and out of trouble. He's been married eight times now. Jeez. Uh, two of his wives uh, died shortly after they were married. It, he was alleged. It, it was alleged. It's never been proven. It, the whole th story dropped. But it was alleged that he might have even been responsible for the death of one of them. Um, he did have that arrest outside of Graceland where he showed up drunk with a, a gun in his hand uh, at the gates of Graceland. A lot of Phil Spector vibes. Oh, yeah, yeah. There. I mean, Jerry Lee, I mean, he's, yeah, hell, the man was called the killer, <laughs> you know? But, I mean, you cannot deny his place in rock and roll history. He was he was the first rebel, really, the, the very first rebel uh, on, the, on the scene, so... Had to include Great Balls of Fire. Yeah, no, it's a great one. And, yeah. and so was the Johnny Cash tune, but I agree this one fits our, yeah, our theme the, better. Yeah, this one just felt right, so. All right, you're up. I'll be talking about Jimmy Cash. Jimmy, Jimmy <laughs> Cash. I'll be talking about Johnny Cash later on in the broadcast, but not now. Um, all right, my next pick. Yes. 
there's just something about punk rock. You know, I'm a fan. Yes, sir. It's minimalist. It's easy enough for just about anybody to play. And, uh, and when you hear about a lot, a lot of punk groups starting out, the Ramones and the Clash, I mean, they, they just, they didn't really know what they were doing at first. Go-Go's, right? We talked about the Go-Go's. They started out as a punk band and they couldn't really play their instruments. And so it, it's, it's, it's a great equalizer for any kid that wants to become a rock star because you can play punk rock pretty easily. Mm-hmm. And then usually, in the, like in the go-go sense, they branched out into other forms, and specifically pop music in their case. But um, yeah, it, it, what, it, what it lacks, what punk lacks in musical complexity, it makes up in raw power and energy. And that's why it really lends itself to a lot of protest. You know, and a lot of British punk music in the late 70s, of mm-hmm. course, were protesting the the um, uh, economy and, and, the, and the, the different opportunities or lack of opportunities they had as young men in that country. I am choosing a punk band that came out, though, in the late 90s, and I had a big thing for this band, so I'm, I'm glad I finally got a chance to talk about The Donnas. Mm-hmm. Love The Donnas. Um, this song is You Make Me Hot. It's from the 1998 American Teenage Rock and Roll Machine album, and it's just, and The Donnas had, I believe they had seven studio albums. And they, they, you can just see them become better musicians as they go along. I mean, they take huge leaps from record to record. And this is, I believe, did I say it was their, I think, first or second album. So it's still pretty raw. Donna's actually formed in middle school, and they conjured up the likes of, of the Ramones and the Runaways. So if you think about it, they were in middle school probably when we were in, in college. And, uh, and the Ramones and, and the Runaways really weren't popular at the time. They were from Southern California. So it was kind of a, a probably like a retro thing, you know, that they, they dug. Yeah. Um, and in fact, that's kind of where they got their name, whereas the Ramones... Um, of course, all had their own actual names, but they changed their name to Johnny Ramone and Joey Ramone and so forth, Dee Dee. They decided to do the same thing, but the opposite. They decided that they would name themselves Donna. So there's Donna F and Donna C. Of course, that's not their real name, and they're not sisters, but that was kind of an homage to to the Ramones. Um, but like I said, they started at, at, a, at a middle school uh, talent show contest, and their self-taught chops and three-chord compositions eventually evolved into, yeah, seven studio albums. 
they did finally have to call it quits when they, they kind of grew up and they decided they wanted to have families. Uh, drummer uh, Tori Castellanato had um, soldier is- soldiers, shoulder issues. And then she went on to finish college in Stanford and went on to Harvard Law School. So they all decided to kind of call it quits. They had their thing in their in their 20s and, and that was it. But man, what, what they produced in that like decade it's just a lot of really fun stuff. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people don't know a lot about the Donnas. Um, they had that uh, one kind of big hit. It was actually used in The Hangover um, a couple years after the hit, um, which was, um, well, I can't remember the name of it now. <laughs> I just got done talking about how I'm such a big Donnas fan. Um, <laughs> it was from the album Spend the Night. And, um, we are um, doing so Take it off. Take it off. Okay. We, we are doing so well. This I know. <laughs> so, it is. But um, I became a huge Donnas fan when I discovered them circa 2002. Um, I even had, I just want to mention this, had the opportunity to hang out with them before a show in Cleveland. Um, I got to the show uh, with my brother-in-law at the time. We got there early and um, happened to just like tug on the door and it opened and we walked in and they were just finishing a, a meet and greet where you know people paid for the VIP package, which we did not. Um, but we hung around and got to meet them. I bought them drinks, which was kind of cool. Mm. And, uh, and in fact, it was my birthday and I mentioned that. And so, um, you know, after we hung out with them and they had to go get ready for the show and we went across to a bar and had a few drinks, came back to the show and halfway through the show, um, the lead singer wished me a happy birthday. She Aww. saw me in the crowd and she remembered that. So that was pretty cool. I can say that I've never been to a concert and wished a happy birthday. So <laughs> <laughs> it was awesome. you, you trumped me on that one. That, that, that actually is very cool. That's a cool story. I'm, uh, I'm bummed they called it quits, but I feel fortunate that they gave us a solid catalog to enjoy for all time. I know nothing about the Donnas. Well, I, I just I can make you a mixtape, Alan. Make me a mixtape, Dave. I will listen to the Donnas. I like I like punk. Yeah, yeah. Go for it. Yeah, and, and um, in fact, they began to evolve. They kind of abandoned the punk, and then they got more into glam rock as they went on. Really? Yeah. And their last album, Bitchin', is just glam rock. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, they're a band. I I've liked what I've heard, but I, I know nothing about them yeah. whatsoever. So, listening to um, your your pick coming into today's episode. Probably the first time I've listened to the Donnas, and my God, I can't even tell you. Um, I, I vaguely recall they were at FAL. I think that we had maybe. Uh, no, I don't no. think so. They would have. They would have still been in middle school back then. So really, their first who, album was like ninety six. Who am I mistaking them with then? Julie, Juliana Hatfield. Oh three? yes, Juliana. Is that, is that who I'm mistaking? Yeah, 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 the yeah. Juliana Hatfield three. No, okay. the, you could tell they were not only fans of punk, but they were fans of glam rock. And so, uh, just as they evolve, you can hear more and more okay. of that glam rock. In fact, on this album here is where the transition began to change because they did a cover of uh, um, "Meet Me After Midnight," and um, I, which I believe was Judas Priest. And then they just kind of went full on glam rock by the okay. end of their career. Yeah. So I, I know very. Very. I don't. I don't even know how old they are. Apparently, so or how old we are. One or the other. <laughs> so um, we're pushing fifty. That hurts. Yes, that hurts. Um, okay, honest folks. We we generally know a lot more about music than we are letting on this week. So <laughs> if this is your first time listening to us, don't don't think that we are uh, kind of winging it. Um, even though we are, uh, we we generally know a, a bit more than this episode might suggest. Um, yeah, you done with the Donnas? Yep, I am all finished. Okay, well, my next one, and Dave alluded to it, I think, last week. It was last week. I'm pretty sure it was last week. Uh, he said that the doors were coming up, and here they are. And this song needs no introduction. Of course, I'm talking Light My Fire. Light 
that it would be untrue You know that I would be a liar If I was to say to you Girl, we couldn't get much higher Come on, baby, light my fire Come on, baby, light my fire Try to set the night on fire The time to hesitate is through The time to wallow in the mire Try now we can only lose And our love become a funeral pyre Come on baby light my fire Come on baby light my fire Try to set the night on fire You didn't go with Jose Feliciano's version? I did not, although <laughs> I'm glad you said it because I was going to say it to make sure that he ended up on the alternates list. There you um, go. But uh, it was their signature song. It was included on their first album. It was a huge hit, launched them to stardom. Uh, before it was released, The Doors were an underground band that was popular in the Los Angeles area. But Light My Fire got the attention of the, the mass audience. Uh, this was the first song that Robbie Krieger actually wrote to completion. Uh, Jim Morrison did most of the songwriting for the album, but he needed some help. He asked Krieger to step in, and the 20-year-old guitarist asked him what to write about, and Morrison replied, something universal. So Jim Morrison indicated in his notebooks that he disliked this song and hated performing it. Uh, He also seemed to resent that the popularity of the band derived from this song, which he did not write which, if you know anything about Jim Morrison, that should not come as a surprise. Um, there, there are some pretty basic, very basic, but effective rhymes in the song. Fire, liar, hire, mire, <laughs> pyre. <laughs> so, no tire, though. No, no tire. Tire was the no. bridge too far. Um, you know, it's funny because I remember when we were in college, there were, there were some people that hailed Jim Morrison as a poet, you know? I never understood it. I like the Doors. I, I love the Doors, but they... Jim Morrison was just, their songs are so repetitive, you know? It's well, a, I mean, some of his stuff was poetic. It, it, yeah. And, and he did some spoken yeah. word stuff. And yeah. His brain is squirming like a toad. Yeah. I, uh, <laughs> so, but, um, I, mean, I love Riders on the Storm. I, I, I do too. I, like I do too. I'm, I'm, I love the doors in general, but I mean, lyrically, I like that yeah. song. Um, but yeah, it, it, their, their rhymes were very often very uh, minimalistic, to say the least. Um, and you're probably going to say this, but the whole part about higher, they weren't even supposed to sing that on Ed yes. Sullivan. All right, go ahead. I don't want to yep. steal your thunder. Well, you, you just did. <laughs> well, no, you can tell the story. I just <laughs> no, I wanted I, to be first to mention it. I, hey, I'm, you can usurp me. I, don't, I do not mind. I'm, I'm making enough mistakes on my own here. Um, yeah, the song topped the Hot 100 uh, for the first three weeks of July 67. It sold over one million copies. It was the first number one hit for their record label, Elektra. And the producers of The Ed Sullivan Show... Yeah, uh, they asked the band to change the line, girl, we couldn't get much higher for their appearance in 67. Morrison said that he would, and then he sang it anyway. And afterwards, he told Sullivan that he was nervous and simply forgot to change the line, and that didn't fly. The Doors were never invited back to Ed Sullivan. Um, and when they were told that they would never be on Ed Sullivan again, Jim Morrison looked at him and said, we just did it. And happily, just probably very stoned, walked off stage. Um this was the first rock song to feature both a guitar and a keyboard in the instrumental section, which I, I did not know. 
In 68, apparently, Buick offered the Doors $75,000 to use the song in a commercial as Come On Buick, Light My Fire. Morrison was away, and Krieger and Densmore and Manzarek, they agreed to allow it. When Morrison found out, he pitched a fit and killed the deal. Um, so he was definitely not one to sell out. Um, Light My Fire, uh, also, this was the last song Jim Morrison ever performed live. Uh, it took place at the, the Doors concert at the warehouse in New Orleans in December of 1970. Midway through the song, Morrison became exasperated and he smashed his microphone into the floor, ending the show. Uh, it was also the last song that the Doors played live as a trio, as they continued without Morrison after his death. According to Ray Manzarek, now some of this I found really interesting, and I, I know I'm rambling a bit here, but some of what I found just, I was really, I, I did not know it. According to Manzarek on BBC Radio 2's program, uh, Ray Manzarek's Summer of Love, the bass line to Light My Fire was actually inspired by Fats Domino's Blueberry Hill. Huh, I went, I went back to listen to it, and damn it, if it, it, it is. It's Blueberry Hill, which I never had picked up on before. And then the extended organ and guitar solos in the album version of the song are actually based on two of John Coltrane's works uh, in his 1961 track, Olay, and his jazz cover of the song, My Favorite Things. So I, I went back and listened and, Sure, sure as hell. You can hear Coltrane perfectly clear as well. It, it, I love when I find out things like that because I, I never seem to have an ear for it just blindly. But yeah, I thought that was really cool. Um, in concert, Robbie Krieger never played the same guitar solo on the song ever. He would sometimes mix in bits of the Beatles song Eleanor Rigby, which uh, never saw him live. So that that one I did not know. Um, but yeah, Light My Fire, it is, you know, it is such a seminal song. It, it's one of those songs that defines rock and roll. Well, it, and it does. The composition is very much a jazz composition. It is. Oh, yeah. Like you finish. just mentioned, yeah. my favorite things, because they have the melodic part, and then it kind of goes off on its own, and then comes back together again. Yeah. Um, no, it, it, it's a beautiful song. It really is. And and um, But yeah, he, he hated, Morrison hated this song because he did not write it so um but this was the song this is what broke them through to the other side if you will um and it had to be on the, the playlist i mean there was there was never a question about including this one so there you go excellent song one of my top 50 of all-time rock and roll yeah without question might even be higher than that good choice all right. Well, hey, you know what? We haven't talked about the boss in a while. I know we featured him from time to time, but why not do it again? Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. I could have gone with Fire, a song that he wrote, but chose not to put on his album, um, Darkness on the Edge of Town. Instead, he gave it to the Pointer Sisters, mm -hmm. where I think we might be talking uh, about a little bit later. Yeah, I have that one coming up. Instead, I went with I'm on Fire, which was on his 1984 album, Born in the USA, although this was released in 1985. It was the fourth single. Uh, of one of the biggest albums of the 80s, an album that resulted from two years of sessions. Talk about prolific. Two years of sessions that produced over 80 tracks before the final 12 were selected. Yeah. And a lot of those um, tracks that were not selected became B-sides. We were talking about that last yep. week. And those that didn't make B-sides were included on the track's box set, almost one disc full. Yeah. And there are still some that have not been released. So it was a very, very prolific time by a very prolific uh, songwriter. Seven of the 12 hit the top 10 on Billboard's Hot 100. It's just amazing. Yep. I can only, I mean, Thriller may have matched that or can come close, but I can't think of any other. 
Uh, album. Uh, Plea with Max. Rumors had a lot of singles, but I mean, this one has to be right it, there. At the it, top. It's certainly up there. Yeah. Um, and and what what's so uh, what's so painful though is that he's never had a number one. He's never. Yeah, never, that's true. Not, not, this one went to number six. He's never had a number one. Song. Yeah, never had a number one. Number so. Dance in the Dark went to number two. Some people, I have a friend who hates this song. He feels it has this like creeper stalker vibe. My wife also kind of, she she didn't like the song growing up because she thought it was some kind of creepy guy, you know, kind yeah. of thing too. Especially with Hey Little Girl, Is Your Daddy Home? Right. And of course, he's using it in a way of, you know. It's colloquialism. It, it is. Yeah. It, like, like if somebody in their early 20s was still living home with their parents, which would have been, you know, common. Uh, it still is. People are still living at home. And little girl, you know, yes, it's a very misogynistic way to refer to a female, but at the time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, at the time, too, it kind of showed where some people did interpret it as a little, a little creepy. But really, this Johnny Cash-inspired song um, is simply about a man's lust for another woman. Yeah. One that's taken, no less. Yes, so. one that's taken. And the video <clears throat> was iconic for several reasons, if you remember the video. Mm-hmm. It was the first one where he decided to act, uh, and, and it was, it's a conceptual video. Uh, all previous videos were live performances or staged live performances, like Dance in the Dark. Oh, yeah. Um, this one had a whole concept. He's working as an auto mechanic. Auto mechanic must, I mean, of course, that is a kind of archetype for the sexy, dirty, bad boy. Uh, yeah. Anyway, you had Uptown Girl with, with Billy Joel. Of course, his video, <laughs> he was a mechanic. Yeah, uh, and he had to be pushed on a <laughs> on a cart to be, that one to be as tall as Christy. With the yeah. dancing and everything. Uh, and the break dancing, no less. Yes, yeah. that's true. We <laughs> had the break dancing. 1950s break dancing. <laughs> but with, uh, with Bruce, it was, it was, it, there wasn't any, any shtick to it. It was simply, um, he was working on this um, woman's Thunderbird, I believe it was, and never see her face, which is what leads me to believe that not only the song, but the video is a, is a fantasy. And um, he, you know, basically, she gives him the keys, says that he can drop it off at her house. And we have this idea that mm, there's something going on here between the lines. He fixes the car, he drives it up to the Hollywood Hills, and he has that one. This is what's so great about, about the boss. I mean, so many of his songs are basically short stories. Yeah. And this video basically takes the concept of the song and then fleshes it out. It is. It's a short story. We have a, a character with a conflict. 
And when we see that conflict, and he's a pretty decent actor, and he chooses to do the right thing, because we, we, we find out in some way that this, this is, it's a married woman. And he chooses not to knock on the door, but he puts the keys in the mailbox, and he walks home. It's just, it's just perfect. Yeah. It really is. It really is. Um, it won the MTV Music Award for Best Male Video. It's been covered by dozens of artists, including Johnny Cash himself. Mm-hmm. He did a lot of covers um, in later albums. Tori Amos, uh, Sarah Bareilles, and Barry Gibb. I need to add one to that okay. because I don't know. She's, she is a new artist. and Soccer Mommy? Soccer Mommy. Soccer Mommy did a version, yep. Her version it gives me chills. Mm-hmm. I mean, I love her acoustic version of this. In fact, I didn't have Springsteen's version on my original list. I I was actually oh, with okay. Soccer Mommy, nice. and then I dropped it, of course, because you had you had Bruce. But I um, yeah, it, oh, I, I I just got to put the shot out there because I want it on the alternates list. I love that version of the the, the cover. It's just fantastic, but it's not Springsteen. Right. I mean, it, this is. Oh, it's still, when you talk about the great love songs, the ballads of the 1980s, this is, this or is right up there. songs, well, more yeah, yeah. I used to think it was an homage to Elvis, but actually it's more of a Johnny, which I see that totally. It's a Johnny yeah. Cash thing. But. Now, the one I'm going to talk about was uh, written for Elvis, but that is not coming up just yet. So, uh, yeah, I'm on fire. Great song. Okay, well, my next one is unique in that it is the only t- track that does not have fire, burning, and or hot in the title. But <laughs> the fire is in the song. I mean, it, it's everywhere in the song. I'm talking about Venus, okay? Um, I, this is another one. I did not know, do I go with Shocking Blue or do I go with Bananarama? And I bounced back and forth and back and forth. It was originally recorded by rock band Shocking Blue. And the group's guitarist, Robbie Van Leeuwen, had written the song. Uh, his distinctive guitar riff on it was taken directly. It was lifted directly from the Who's Pinball Wizard, actually. Uh, Shocking Blue was from the Netherlands, and when, uh, which actually led to a really interesting translation problem. Because lead singer Mariska Verres, uh, she sang the English lyrics, but Van Leeuwen, he had written the first line down incorrectly. What was supposed to be a goddess on the mountaintop, he wrote as a godness on the mountaintop. Hmm. And that's exactly how Veras sang it. But listeners to this day have never noticed. Interesting. Never noticed. It's godness on the mountaintop. It doesn't make any sense at all. No, it doesn't. Um, but that was the... Uh, but they didn't speak, like the Netherlands. Yeah, yeah they probably, didn't, didn't speak... It wasn't their native language. Yeah, didn't speak a lick of English, yeah. Okay. Uh, most listeners still have never noticed to this day. And many cover versions have corrected the error, of course. Uh, but there was always a number one hit with a misspoken first line, thanks to a typo. Um, I did, in the end, I went with Bananarama.
It was actually one of the first songs that they actually started performing when they formed the band in 1979, but they wanted to record original songs first to be taken seriously. Uh, their version, though, it also hit number one. Uh, and the the accompanying music video, directed by Peter Kerr, uh, or Kerr, I'm not sure how to pronounce that name, uh, with choreography by Bruno Tonioli. Do you remember? Do you remember the video for Venus from Bananarama? I don't. It was it was pretty hot. <laughs> to, I just love to, their to name. Use, I love their name. It's one of the greatest it, it, it band is, names yeah. in rock history. Oh, without question. It received extensive play on MTV and on the video channels across the world. In the video, the group's three members, uh, Sarah Dallin, Siobhan uh, Fahey, and, and Karen Woodward, they're presented in various costumes, uh, including a she-devil, a French temptress, a vampiress, several, several Greek Well, now goddesses. I know what I'm doing tonight. Yeah. In one sequence of the video, uh, Sandro Botticelli's painting The Birth of Venus is adapted as a tableau, uh, Vivian, actually. Um, the video marked a pivotal shift towards a more glamorous and sexual image for the group because uh, prior to that, uh, all of their earlier work, they, they presented a more tomboyish style. Like in Cruel Summer. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, in the U.S., as I said, both Bananarama's cover and Shocking Blue's original version reached number one, making it one of the few songs uh, for that ever to happen. Strangely, in the U.K., both versions reached number eight uh, and both spent 13 weeks on the chart uh, with that song. So it was like a mirror image across the pond, uh, both sides. In 1959, Frankie Avalon had a U.S. number one hit uh, with the same title, Venus. There are only two other instances of different songs with identical titles that have reached number one. Hmm. Think you can guess any of them? I don't know. Well, maybe give me the artists. Okay. Or one, one, of artists. one of them was by Petula Clark in 1966. Downtown? No. No, no, that was... was that and a- same title, different song, McCartney and Wings in 73. 73, McCartney and Wings. Oh, um... I, wouldn't be banned on the run. No, no, no. <laughs> what, what <laughs> no. My love. Oh, my, my love. love. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then you also had uh, so Venus, uh, my love, and then the third one, only other one that uh, has has done this. Uh, one was by the Eagles in 73, and the other one was a disco hit by the Emotions in 77. 73. Take it easy? No, not take it easy. Best of my love. Oh, okay. Best of my there love. Only three in, in the history of Billboard that have had... Uh, same title, different tracks, uh, both hit number one. Uh, oh, I was just going to say, uh, th- that happens a lot. I-, I noticed throughout the rock era where two singles at the same time have the same name. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's just a coincidental thing. Yeah. Because, um, of course, with movies, that happened a lot in the 80s where somebody would make a movie like uh, body switching movies, right? And then they're, like every studio had their own body switching yeah. movie. Oh, yeah. Um, I remember... <laughs> I was a big Cure fan, which we've already established on the show. And when I met my my now wife, we were kind of dating, and I was introducing her to music I like. And she said, "Oh, the Cure. That's that single that I bought accidentally." And I said, "What do you mean?" Well, there was another song. There was a Cure song called "Love Song," which was a single, and there was another. It was a glam rock song called "Love Song." I want to think it was maybe it might have been by Tesla. Hmm. And that's the song that she intended to purchase because she heard it on the radio. So she bought the single, but she bought the Cure version instead. And she got home and she's like, "This is not what I wanted." I don't think I've ever heard Tesla's love song. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that was Tesla. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Yep. I could I could look it up. I have a device here that allows me to do that. But anyway, that <laughs> that seems to happen a lot for whatever reason. But it, it's interesting that only you know the number yeah. one things. Yeah. Um, and of course, I still remember the episode of M- of uh, Beavis and Butthead. 
there there's one episode uh from the the series where where Butthead is trying to make up his own lyrics uh to Venus. <laughs> but he gets frustrated because he can't think of anything that rhymes with Venus. <laughs> That's great. That's right? Classic. Which I'm not going to I'm not going to uh, elaborate on that, but uh, <laughs> it was Tesla by the way. It was yeah. okay. But um yeah, no, I I'm your Venus, I'm your fire. Uh pure desire. Pure desire. So Fires through the entirety of the song, and while it's not in the title, I thought, eh, gotta gotta include. The no, track. that works. So, that works. There you go, Bananarama. All right. Well, we talked about Elvis, so I'm going to actually pick a song from Elvis. Yep, Elvis Presley, late Elvis. I have a tendency to prefer a lot of the later Elvis stuff. Believe yeah. it or not, even yeah. though it's this kind of lounge phase, he had some really good tunes in there. Suspicious he, Minds. He did. A little less conversation in the ghetto. Yeah. And this one, Burning Love. A lot of great tracks, but I'm I will always be an early Elvis yeah. guy. I just that uh, there's something about the jumpsuits, I just can't <laughs> can't do it. This so. came out the year of my birth, night. I'm did I already say 1972? Um, from the album, what this is an awkwardly titled album, Burning Love and Hits from His Movies Volume Two. <laughs> really, that's the name of the album, Burning Love and Hits and from Hits His Movies from his Volume movies. Two. My guess is it was a single and they didn't have enough material for a full album, so they threw it on with Hits from His Movies. But it's so Second odd that, that it would get top billing on the <laughs> I know. on a and a collection and anthol I can't speak on an anthology of movie hits. Yes, burning because it wasn't in a movie, right? It gets top billing. That's uh, yeah. that's hilarious. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> this was his. This was um, the last time the King of Rock and Roll hit the top ten on the American charts. Uh, of course, he passed away. I believe it was is it seventy six or 70, 70, 77. 77. Yeah. So la- last single it hit the top ten. Um, it went to number two. It was kept out of the top spot by what song? This is a good trivia question. This should be on Jeopardy. Mm. Um, what year? Nineteen seventy two. Seventy two. I have some hints if you need them. Kept out of the top spot in seventy two. All right, give me from some a, hints. From a fellow early rock and roller. Okay. Um, that's, that's hint number one. Fellow early rock and roller. Um, so are we talking contemporary of Elvis, early yes. rock and roller? Yes. All right, so 72. Hint number two, it's a novelty song. My dingling. Yes. My Chuck, dingling. Chuck Berry's Chuck Berry. My dingling, dingling kept Elvis out of the top Are you spot. kidding? No. That is hilarious. Oh, wow. <laughs> my dingling. <laughs> now we have to include my dingling on the ultra. 1972. I what can, year is this? I'm going to get down and hail you. I've, I've always wanted to include my dingling on our alternate playlist. All right. So. There you go. <laughs> um, the song, Burning Love, um, is actually a cover Yes, I did not know this. From the same year by Arthur Alexander. Arthur Alexander was kind of an R&B singer that a lot of people 
um, our, our soul singer that a lot of people um, huh. from the fifties that that, uh, that aren't I'm not I don't know a lot about Arthur Alexander. I'll admit that. Um, but yeah, he recorded it, and and um, you know a few months later, I think it was August is when when Elvis releases it. Yeah, and I, I know. I, I I know the name, yeah. but I I couldn't tell you a whole lot about. So it. I have yet to hear his version. So we'll also put that on our our alternates and mentioned songs list. So yeah, you know I'm, I'm I've never been a huge Elvis fan. I'm you know I'm the Beatles fan, um, but I respect Elvis and 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 I I respect what he's done and I appreciate his contribution to rock. Um, just never never yeah. a huge fan. Um, well, Tarantino said it best. Yeah, you know, yeah. Can't, can't like him equally. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, and I. I actually made the switch because when I was younger, I was an obsessive Elvis fan, and then I discovered the Beatles, and that that was when Elvis took a back seat, more or less. But nonetheless, I mean, the king of rock and roll for good reason. He, uh, wow. See, I, I always identified Elvis, and this would be late Elvis, of course, because that's what I would remember growing up. Right. With like Midwestern kitsch, you know, beehive hairdos and oh, yeah, yeah. and and velvet, uh, black velvet paintings. And commemorative plates. <laughs> All of which is why I... Oh, it's early Elvis, please. Yes, I... Um, oh, man. That's such painful. But I like those, those, four, <laughs> those, those four songs specifically I, the, from um, the late 60s and early 70s. I really like. Yeah, the only thing old... Late... The only thing late Elvis gave us really were... Uh, what was it? Deep fried peanut butter and banana sandwiches. Yeah, yeah. And... and Black Velvet by Atlanta Miles. <laughs> yeah. that's, that's about it. I am, um, yeah, no, early Elvis. Please, please, please. All right. Well, my next pick. I did not know. I, 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 I should have because it makes perfect sense. But I always, I always kind of considered this song to be like a, um, kind of like a, a somebody's baby by Jackson Brown. Okay. It's it's Hot Child in the City. Yeah. By yeah, Nick Gilder. side B here uh, my, my 7 through 12 picks uh, every song that I have here hit number 1 or number 2 with the exception of Meatloaf I mean, a lot of number 1 hits this is Nick Gilder's uh, only number 1 hit actually uh, Nick Gilder was a, a Canadian rocker uh, he did go to number 1 uh, with this song both in Canada and the United States but it was not his first number 1 single um, he was also the lead singer of a Canadian glam rock band called Sweeney Todd and they had a number one hit in Canada with the single Roxy Roller in 76. Uh, that song remained uh, in the top spot for three weeks. And as an aside, which I did not know, I know I'd never even heard of Sweeney Todd, but... So what you mean, okay. The band. The band, okay. The band, Sweeney Todd. Uh, Nick not the Sondheim musical. No, 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 Nick Gilder's band. Uh, Nick Gilder, apparently, he left Sweeney Todd um, after 
the band, Roxy, Roxy Roller, their single hit number one because he wanted to start a solo career, and he was replaced by a 16-year-old Brian Adams, who later enjoyed international success, of course, yeah. as a solo artist himself. Um, well, yeah, I had never heard of Sweeney Todd. It makes me want to look them yeah, up, yeah. Uh, Nick Gilder and, and Brian Adams as lead singers. Um, but yeah, I always, for whatever reason, I always kind of paired Somebody's Baby and Hot Shot in the City kind of together in my mind. Hmm. But, but, and and when I found this out, I, I felt kind of dirty for leaving it in. But to me, the, the lyrics are innocent enough that, you know, the intent of the artist doesn't matter so much. Despite the song's innocent and catchy pop stylings, the tune is based on Gilder's experiences witnessing child prostitution. Jeez, oh, Alan, when, what did you do? When he moved to Los Angeles in 77, okay? What did you do? <laughs> I did not know it at the time, and I loved the song. And I, it, had to, it, it had to stay. You've ruined the song for every listener now. I'm no, sorry. no, go ahead. No, no, no. Um, in an interview with Rolling Stone, Gilder said that he had seen a lot of young girls, 15 and 16 years old, uh, walking down Hollywood Boulevard with their pimps. And he said that their home environment drove them to distraction, so they ran away, only to be trapped by something even worse. And he said, it hurts to see uh, that, so I, I tried writing from the perspective of a lecher and, and in the guise of an innocent pop song, which he succeeded because... Yeah, I mean, the, the song the song fit. Yeah, nothing in the song suggests that the... the I mean, musically, if you're going to write a song about child prostitution, you don't use that melody. Yeah, no. And the lyrics themselves, nothing in the lyrics are would, would suggest that it's prostitution. Interesting. And to me, you know, I always, like I said, to me it was somebody's baby just a few years earlier, and I was kind of shocked to find out it wasn't, and I, I did. I debated pulling it, but then I thought, no, I, the lyrics are innocent enough. I'll just pretend like I don't know that. Yeah, it was the number one hit. <laughs> Everyone in the nation bought a copy, so I'm... I'm ooh. <laughs> you are right now. I am, yes. Getting a little too excited. Um, anyway, the, the single took 21 weeks to get to number one in the U.S., and at that time, it actually held the record for the longest climb to number one on the Hot 100. Interesting. You know what song holds the record today? What? From... 2019, which is not when it was first released, but in 2019, it took 35 weeks for the song to climb to the top spot. And it was the first time that it hit the top spot. That would be Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas. Yeah, we talked about that yep. because it, it yeah. Yeah, that, that actually. So many years after it was released. Yeah, that one actually uh, holds the, the record now. It took 35 weeks in 2019 for All I Want for Christmas to hit number one. But yeah, at the time of its release, Hot Child in the City. It well, held the record twenty one weeks. Well, and, and and going back to Mariah Carey, that song was originally released in like ninety five or ninety four. Yeah, so well, it was the longest. <laughs> yeah, the longest year wait. Wait, too. yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Because I, I looked it up. Number two is the Macarena, which welcome back to your to your honeymoon. Yeah. Uh, but um, yeah, the. Wait a minute. The why? Why would so thirty five weeks ago number one? Why would people be buying a Christmas song thirty five weeks out from Christmas? I that I don't know. I, I don't know. But it like was, what? Like like that'd be like March. Yeah, I, I don't know how or why that is, or if it started maybe in October, and it started to build going into but late, that's not late December. Weeks. Oh no, it wouldn't be, would it? Damn, I don't. I don't know. Do you mean maybe it was thirty five? You know what it probably is because from two thousand or whatever. When did the album come out? Was it ninety five? Nine. Yeah, it was nineties. So maybe. Two weeks, two weeks, three weeks, four weeks added up to 35 by the time it came hmm. to 2019. 
Well, yeah, but it, it, there would have been right would have been up up and down the, the track. And this is hmm. the, the climb okay. to number. Yeah. I, I don't know. That is interesting. I didn't yeah. think to to look up the the specifics of it. Um, I, it was just what it said is that Mariah Carey held the record in twenty nineteen for thirty five. Yeah. yeah, I didn't. I didn't. Never even thought. I about bet you that. it's a, it's a it's a combination of the weeks that it was on the charts before it, hitting number one. It would have to be. Over yeah, you're, of, you're right. That's you're talking more than half the, the year. <laughs> hey, it's March <laughs> number thirty eight. Mariah Carey. <laughs> All I want for Christmas is you. Um, yeah, that, that makes no sense. Um, interesting. Yeah, I'm going to have to go back and look that up because I, I just kind of went with the numbers and didn't put any thought into it. Um, I got it from Billboard. So yeah, it's, no, it's, it's all ac- good. No, no, no. That's, I just I, think, I, no, it, it, it still yeah. remains the same. It, just, right. it, it makes total sense now. It has to, yeah. 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 Okay. All right, my last pick. Yes. And this one does not include um, a fire or hot in the title. Yep. But it does fit. Um, although... As I've mentioned before, I'm not a lyrics guy. So sometimes the meaning of a song is lost on me. Um, I just assume everything's kind of a metaphor and I don't really look that, you know, it depends on the song. Here is one, now that I know what it's really about, kind of, it's kind of grim. But anyway, I'll just, I Melt With You by Modern English. Yes. interpret as hey our love is so hot our, our passion is so hot let's just melt together as a metaphor for coming together as a couple that's how I've always read it okay 1982 from the album After the Snow it was first released in 82 um, re-recorded and then re-released in 1990 um, and I remember when it came out a second time because I'm like why are they releasing this song again well the new wave thing obviously was in the early 80s and there were some new wave bands that had hit in, in, in America, but some not. You know, we talked about how it took a while for The Cure and some of those bands to, to, to chart in the U.S. And so I think by 1990, when alternative music began to hit the pop charts in America, they figured it would fare better. better. Right. Unfortunately, it did not fare better because, well, it did. In 1983, the single went to number 78 on the Hot 100. And in 1990, it went to 76. So it improved two, oh, two, two positions. Two positions. Okay. Two positions in seven years. Um, yeah. Anyway, uh, although the song can be interpreted as a song of sexual desire, which I always have, it now makes total sense when I read that it was written during the Cold War. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When it seemed like the immediate threat of nuclear war was always at hand. And so, yes, the song takes a much grimmer tone when you listen to it in this context of yeah. melting. Yeah, uh. it's, it's, uh, 
about nuclear war. You know, another one that... But it's still a love song, because you're saying, you know, yeah, I'll die with you. But the whole melting thing is yeah. kind of gross. Well, and another track, very very similar, is Timbuk3. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Future's yeah. so bright, I gotta yeah. wear shades. It's it's about... And, and Forever Young is another one. Really? Forever Young? Yeah, well, it, it, yeah, because there's a whole line. They actually mentioned the bomb. Um, I'm, you know, something about dropping the bomb and whatever. Yeah, I have to go back and look at it. Are we talking about Dylan's for? No, 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 no. I'm talking about um, Alphaville. Which oh, oh, oh. Okay. I'm not going to sing it. Sorry, I, I, I totally went Dylan on that. They found they had a rec- it was another new wave hit that had not hit new wave song. Okay. Yeah, yeah. They had a resurgence when Napoleon Dynamite I, was. Huge. Yeah. Now, now I I know the song you're talking yeah. about. I, I'm sorry. I just immediately went Bob Dylan Forever Young, and I'm like, it doesn't sound right. That was a song. Uh, father to son but yeah. um yeah no that that would make sense too so I, yeah so yeah. anyway it still fits you know absolutely our yeah. last two picks were kind of like mm, i didn't really know what yeah, they were about yeah, yeah, yeah. but i bet most of the people in the audience didn't catch that but maybe they did yeah it's just just you know, it conjures up images of the day after the controversial television oh, show yeah. that was on and now we went to the same elementary but we did we not did. have the same we class. were segregated yes. you were in the smart kids and i was in the dumb kids you whatever <laughs> <laughs> but nonetheless we i remember we were assigned we had to watch that show for really homework. yeah we was a sign we had to watch the day i after. wasn't allowed to watch it. yeah all oh, parents were in an uproar yeah. but yeah they they actually assigned it for us hmm. to watch and man that scared the living hell yeah. out of me i i just the day I, i've not seen it since the part of me has thought about going back and seeing it and seeing i never it saw realistic. it but i watched the youtube video of the part that was controversial and uh, you know i could see it that I mean, now it's just hokey special yeah. effects well, and i've all i've often thought about going back and t- seeing how how bad it is but um yeah we were actually assigned to watch that and folks you have to understand uh, we were God, what grade was that 84 would have been fifth grade yeah around there yeah, yeah. um yeah it was, it, we were assigned to watch it and i remember my parents didn't particularly care but i i remember i had friends man their parents were they were i wasn't allowed to see jaws well, we had a pretty good bootleg uh, tape trading system in, 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 well, middle schools when that happened. I remember once VCRs became a household item and people had HBO, uh, which I did not, you know, people would record Porky's and a lot of horror movies for the first time, um, Friday the 13th. Yeah, so that's how I, I, I snuck those into the house and, and watched them when my parents went to bed. Yeah, yeah we all did. I remember that. Um, oh, man. Yeah, the day after. I have not thought about the day after in, what, 40 So now every time I listen to this classic alternative song, I'm going to think of people physically melting. Yeah, uh, you know. (laughs) But it's a great fun song. (laughs) It is, yeah, it it very much is. All right, uh, here is the last pick uh, for this week. It comes to me, and we've already talked about it. I am going to go with Fire by the Pointer Sisters. Nice.
this smoldering song, as we've already said, <laughs> smoldering. smoldering. I love the word smoldering. Um, sultry, smoldering. Uh, the smoldering song was written by Bruce Springsteen, as we've already said. Uh, at the time, he was embroiled in litigation with his former manager, uh, which kept him from recording his own songs. And, and the song became a hit when the Pointer Sisters recorded it later in 1978, as the suggestion of their producer, Richard Perry. Their version hit number two in the U.S., Springsteen actually wrote this for Elvis Presley, mm-hmm. uh, who was his idol growing up. He sent Elvis a demo of it in 77, but Presley died soon after receiving Didn't he try to actually break into Graceland? Yeah, he actually jumped the gate. and Yeah, he he literally jumped the gate in Graceland and got away with it. Elvis wasn't home that night, that, that <laughs> night when, he, when he did it. No, no security guard ever caught him, which is, to me, hilarious. Um, but yeah, he sent he sent a demo to Elvis in '77, but Presley died soon after receiving it. Uh, the song would have fit well for Elvis, honestly. I mean, realistically, you look at "Burning Love," and I could easily imagine him singing "Fire." Um, but Springsteen sometimes, you know, he writes from the perspective of of a man burning with desire, as we've already said, uh, which can come off a bit predatory, which we've also already said. In this song, the girl is saying no, but he's not accepting that answer because her kiss tells a different story. When it's sung from the girl's point of view, though, which it is from the Pointer Sisters, all those concerns are allayed because the Pointer Sisters make it clear they're welcoming the advances, right? My words say split, but my words, they lie because when we kiss, ooh, fire. It, it's not, it takes away some of the, uh, right. some, some of the questionable right. uh, properties of, of the lyric. Uh, another Springsteen song with a similar theme is Because the Night, uh, which also became a big hit for Patty Smith. Which was written about Patty the same Smith. time. Yeah. Um, and they're both on, uh, what is it? The Promise. The Promise, yeah. Which was all the, the extended cuts that never were recorded yep. during the Darkness sessions. Yep. Uh, while many people who heard this song knew it had hit potential, Springsteen did not release it himself until 86. And at, when he did, it was a live version. It was from the live set, yeah. 75 to 85. Uh, it was released as a single when the, the box set came out, and it reached number 46 in the, in the U.S. Um, Springsteen considered, I guess, using it on both Darkness on the Edge of Town and The River, but he decided it did not fit the mood of either album. Um, radio stations sometimes inserted their station name into the Pointer Sisters version of this song, which I I never never knew this, but, uh, you know, you turn on the radio... Um, or at, well, it would be I'm riding in your car. You turn on the radio, and then they would pause the song and put in you know 98.5 of UNC. <laughs> and I don't, in my mind, I'm like, how did you, how do you do that? But I apparently I, I I gave it a listen. There were several examples of it on YouTube, and then of course the song continues. You're pulling me close. You know, um, the Pointer Sisters they 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 scored with upbeat danceable songs. Uh, I'm so excited. Jump for my love. Neutron dance. But their two biggest hits were Fire and another slow-burning, very lusty song, Slow Hand. Those were their, their two biggest. And uh, Slow Hand, that one was written by I John, that. John Bettis and Michael Clark. Uh, it, it then became a country hit for Conway Twitty after the Pointer Sisters Conway released Twitty. their version. So, um, yeah, I, I threw on Fire, but uh, not Springsteen's version because we do not repeat artists on any mixtape and... Folks, that is the 24, count them, 24 cuts for hot. We need to sequence We need to sequence. Yeah, so we're going to go sequence the songs. We're going to have a deliberation where we debate and we yell and shut. No, we're usually pretty much on the same page. Pretty amicable, actually. Yes. Um, We'll be right back after this. 
And we're back, and we, oh man, that was a tough one some, yeah. in some places. Hey, oh, yeah. Uh, we, but we kind of go in blocks, uh, which we've done before, yeah. you know, in and out of right. different genres. We, we open uh, the playlist, side A, track one, with Hot, Hot, Hot by Buster Poindexter and his Banshees of Blue. Uh, that goes into Sweat, a la, 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 long, by Inner Circle, followed by Fireball by John... Uh, by Pitbull, featuring John Ryan, Hot in Here by Nelly, Too Hot to Trot by the Commodores, and Hot Stuff by Donna Summer. Then into Hot Child in the City, Nick Gilder, followed by Fire by the Pointer Sisters, Venus by Banana Rama, Some Like It Hot, and The Heat Is On uh, by The Power Station. Uh, I Melt With You by Modern English, and we end side one with Burning For You by Blue Oyster Cult. Side two, side B. I don't know if it's two or B, I guess. B. Uh, B, side B, yes. Time to play B-sides, Alan. This isn't a 45, (laughs) Dave, but okay, fair Uh, fair enough. Um, All right, so side B, track one. We open with Hot for Teacher, uh, because with that uh, drum solo, how do you not open with Hot for Teacher? Uh, That leads into The Girl Got Hot by Weezer, Hotter Than Hell by Kiss, into You Make Me Hot by The Donnas, Fire by Jimi Hendrix, followed by Light My Fire by The Doors. You Took the Words Right Out of My Mouth, Hot Summer Night by Meatloaf. That goes into Burning Love by Elvis Presley, then Great Balls of Fire by Jerry Lee Lewis. Love is Like a Heat Wave by Martha Reeves and the Vandellas, followed by Hot Blooded by Foreigner. And we end our mixtape with I'm on Fire by Bruce Springsteen. So, yeah, it uh, not only are we in blocks, but it, the blocks are that they, in some respects, follow, you know, my my songs, followed by your songs. But, but it's yeah, just, yeah. it just the way that it kind and of... And I like ending with I'm on Fire, too. It's yeah. kind of like a nightcap kind of... A yeah, I, I thought it was... Dissolve into the night. If yeah. you were going to listen to this on a hot summer night, this works. Yeah, no, I, 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 it's, it is. It's a perfect mix, and it's... I, I think we did good. We did a very good job with this. So, um, we did well. We did... Colloquialism. We yeah. did good. We, we did done good. good. We 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 done. English we, teachers aren't perfect, folks. No, uh, but we we try. So we um, listen to the kids, and then we you know uh, form yeah. bad habits. You should see how we text. Uh, anyway, <laughs> apparently punctuation is um, aggressive. <laughs> I found I, that out. I, yeah, I, I read an article about that. If you capitalize and punctuate, then Gen Z gets really yes, uncomfortable. Yes, yes. With the, with I don't the text. understand. I just don't I, understand. I don't either. So I, I asked Joel. Actually, he's you know way at school, and because I I capitalize and punctuate my texts, and he's like, yeah, Dad, it's it's really kind of why do why do you do that? Chugi, <laughs> chugi is the term. Chugi, 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 chugi. What the hell is chugi? Chugi is something that someone does that's kind of awkward. It's not necessarily offensive or wrong, hmm. but just a little off. And and like, for instance, when, well, I think you did it last week when you said woke. You oh, know, yeah. And you said it, you know, in, in, in the context. But when, when, a, when an older generation uses some lingo or okay. uh, something from the younger generation or, or they find cringeworthy or cringe, they would say, that's chugi. Okay, I've, n- I've never heard the word chuggy. Um, hmm. The fact that I use the word chuggy makes me chuggy. Uh, it's it's chuggy <laughs> cr- cringe. Is that what it you- must be cringe? Okay. Or sus. 
Oh, I, I know sus. I, <laughs> yeah, I teach. Yeah, I know all about sus. Uh, any <laughs> see, see, we're old men, but we're not just like complaining about the. Yeah, we're just we're just trying to figure them out, and and not always incredibly successful in doing it. So um, I don't think we totally can. Just like our parents and grandparents couldn't yeah. completely figure us out either. And I think we're in a better place as teachers, but I um, yeah, we have slightly more success in doing it. But yeah, I. Every time that I think I have their lingo figured out, that they have so moved on. Thank goodness for know? Urban Dictionary. Oh, yes. <laughs> Although, sometimes Urban Dictionary can get you in trouble, too. Well, yeah, um, you don't want to look it up at school. No, you definitely do not. Uh, what do we call on this, this uh, particular mixtape? Well, I mean, the most obvious would be hot, 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 but is that too obvious? <sighs> we could go hot stuff. Hot stuff, okay. We could do hot stuff. We could do, um, look in here, um, burn in love. We could do... Hot child in the city slash yeah, child no. prostitution. Burning for you. We could do. We honestly we could use half of them. Um, <laughs> so, or we could use all of them. Really, um, I kind of like hot stuff. Okay, that's good. Is that, is that good? Let's do I hot, like stuff. hot stuff. All right. Well, that's all for this week. Hot funk, cool punk, even if it's old junk. Another mix of memories awaits next week. But for now, press pause, lift the needle, and hit eject, and we will see you on the flip side.